Welcome to the Michigan Minds Podcast, a quick and informative analysis of today's top issues from University of Michigan faculty. so much for joining Michigan Minds. I'm really excited to have the opportunity to talk with you today. So can you start by introducing yourself and sharing a little bit about your role at the University of Michigan? Sure. Thank you so much for having me. It's it's great to be here. My name is Sita Sile, and I am an assistant professor in the mechanical engineering department up here on North Campus. And in what areas does your research focus? Yeah, so I really have a, quite an interdisciplinary research focus. Uh, we're, you know, in the spirit of the month that we're in honoring Earth Month, you know, we're at a really exciting time these days. Climate change is perhaps the biggest existential threat we face as humankind. And we have all these engineered systems that contribute to and exacerbate the effects of climate change. And, you know, I'm an optimist. We also have the most momentum in history to be able to do something about it globally in this country with historic legislation like the BIL and the um, IRA, also on, you know, all the amazing work on the state and local level and beyond government. And not only that, but there's this growing acceptance of the truth of the matter that there are multiple negative impacts, but those impacts are not distributed the same for everyone, right? So some populations bear more of the burden of climate change versus others. Some populations have access to benefits that others don't. And this distribution is quite unfair and often due to reasons completely beyond people's control, right? Such as identity, historical context, social context. And, you know, as engineers, I believe we're responsible for the technical systems that we put out into this world that cause this unfair state. And also we can do something about it. So that is really the motivation behind where my research lies. Broadly, my research focuses on how we can design, evaluate, and implement sustainable energy and transportation systems to more equitably serve the human population. And I like to make sure I define the terms that I'm using. So so when I think of equity, I really think of assessing the burdens that people experience, the benefits they need for their well-being, and the agency or the choice that they have to control their own life and their own destiny and their own well-being. And this is all working towards justice in the systems that we create and implement. So my research group uh, works on these types of problems and uses human-centered design methods and quantitative systems modeling methods uh, to do the work that we do. And this is combined with engaging in equitable partnerships with stakeholders and communities and integrating both the qualitative and quantitative insights from this work. So we work in areas of clean mobility systems, in uh, sustainable energy development and design, as well as design justice focused more in the theory and methodology of the design field. Thank you. And I wanted to ask you about an article you authored for the conversation that highlights four issues that should be focused on for the shift to electric vehicles. This transition offers large economic and environmental benefits, 
though these benefits aren't spread equitably, as you said. Can you share with us a bit about this article and the issues that need to be addressed in order to implement an equitable transition to EVs? Yeah, absolutely. So so this article really came from the research that I've been working on and, and with the communities that I've been honored to be working with to try to really understand what this shift in electric vehicles might look like particularly for the communities who don't see themselves as belonging in that shift or perhaps have been or still are being left behind in this shift. Uh, so electric vehicles, right, are a critical part of our shift to clean mobility in the passenger vehicle space. So passenger vehicle, meaning probably the vehicles we all have outside in the parking lot or the driveway right now. Uh, they are certainly not the only part, so I do want to say that, right? But our infrastructure in this country in particular is largely based on owning a private vehicle. We, we can talk all day long about why that is good or bad, but the fact of the matter is that having a personal vehicle affords convenience. It affords opportunities to be able to be successful in most places, whatever that success means for you and your family and the people that you provide for. So because electric vehicles at the passenger vehicle level are critical to the transition in our clean mobility shift, right, in this portfolio of solutions, we, we need to be, uh, we really must be extremely attentive to the equity considerations of how this transition is happening every step of the way. And so this article that you referenced was, is not meant to provide all of the answers. I certainly don't have those answers, um, but more of a call to action in the areas that I feel passionate about putting more attention towards. And so, as you mentioned, I organized this article in four main areas. So first is bringing to light that Banning new sales of gas-powered vehicles can have unintended consequences. So we're seeing this legislation on in our country at the state level, led by California, that's putting a ban on new sales of gas-powered light-duty vehicles. And I'm simplifying a little bit. There are other components, but that's like one of the main components. And, and I write about in this article what are the unintended consequences that we see from these bans. I don't think we have a full recognition of what we are seeing now and what we will see when these bans go into effect. Who's being affected? What is the infrastructure we need to think about to make these bans possible, right? And how, what are the unintended consequences from these bans and who might those unintended consequences be unintentionally burdening? So I'd love to see, and I'm working towards, and I'd love to see more attention on what those consequences might look like, right? In, in particular, the negative consequences. I think related to that is really the second area of the article, which is talking through how gas-powered vehicles will still be on the road for many years, even after these bans are put in place, and will keep polluting on the roads that they drive on. So these bans are not banning or taking away vehicles that are already on the road, right? 
we can still go to the store and buy or the store, the, the dealership, the market, Craigslist, wherever you buy your car, we can still go and buy a gas powered vehicle. And we and used vehicles are a huge area, right? We've seen in the last few years uh, in the in the pandemic that used vehicle prices have really spiked in prices and we didn't quite realize that would happen, right? So a big area is if these cars are still gonna be on the road and, and we don't have a very robust way at the federal level or the state level to be taking gas-powered vehicles off the road, right, uh, for maybe retirement or even early retirement. We don't have good incentives for that. We don't have good structures for that or an economic case for that. Where are those cars going to still pollute? So historically, and and even today, uh, there are researchers, uh, this is not work I do, but definitely hats off to the researchers that are that are showing that we see people of color low-income communities, and other underserved communities are the ones that are most burdened by this uh, poor air quality and air pollution, right? And that's not even talking about the greenhouse gas emissions we're putting into the air causing global climate change. I'm talking about, you know, local air pollution issues. Uh, and, And they're the ones that are not currently transitioning to electric vehicles for a multitude of reasons, but still need personal vehicles perhaps even more, right, given their life situations. Um, So these are some of the questions that I bring up in the article. I think the other, um, from more of a global perspective area in in this question is the U.S. is one of the top three global exporters of used cars. So that means that if you think you're giving your car to a, let's say, vehicle dismantler or a vehicle scrapper, Chances are they may not be going and getting scrapped and off the road. They might be going into this global trade export market to be fixed up in another most likely lower income country and have another life. So the question is then, are we actually just displacing these emissions somewhere else in the world? Very complicated, very complex. Again, not claiming to have the answers, but really important questions you know, to bring to the forefront, I think. Um, The third area that I bring up in this article is really probing at what are the benefits and where are the benefits going to make this transition to electric vehicles. And and the fact is what we see right now, electric vehicle incentives are not going to underserved drivers. This is, it's really a question of the distribution of benefits, right? Right. In my group and other researchers have found that incentives are going to help electric vehicle purchases in wealthy areas, right? Not low-income populations, not predominantly populations of color. Historical context plays a huge role in this. Those who historically haven't been benefiting are continuing to not benefit, right? So how can we be more attentive to this and actually change this cycle, not repeat the past harms that we've continued to to cause in these communities, but actually stop that cycle and move forward in a more equitable way. The fourth area is to highlight a population that very often gets left behind in these conversations, which is rural areas. So almost a fifth of the American population lives in rural areas and they drive more. 
they don't have the luxuries of of public transportation or hop on my e-bike and have safe protected bike lanes to be going to different places the distances they cover are larger and 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 those other mobility resources are just not feasible we can't ask them to be you people who live in rural areas right and and we live we're talking right now in this state that has a very wide mix of like very urban all the way to very rural right so what does it actually mean to shine a spotlight on these communities when we're thinking about the electric vehicle uh, shift and ask what are we doing to help support these communities and their needs, which are certainly different than the suburban population needs, than the urban population needs. Those are the big four points. And then the last kind of wrap up of the article is to really make explicitly the point out in the open that in the transition to electric vehicles, I urge us all, collective us all, to be asking who are we actually serving? So like I said earlier, the reality is that we live in a car-centric society. And I'm excited to have a conversation, to have many conversations about how to change that, how to reimagine that. And I think not but, but and, how are we going to help people now, right? How are we going to help people who are needing these resources now to be able to have the well-being that they need for their families and, and their loved ones and not wait decades to do some sort of uh, redevelopment in the urban, suburban, or rural areas, right? Public transportation is important. It cannot be the only answer, <laughs> right? And so I think that the EV transition should be designed with human needs in, at the forefront and particularly centering those voices and needs of those who have traditionally not been heard or not had a seat at the table in the decision-making. Thank you so much. Those are really important considerations I think we can all reflect on. What are a few key messages you hope that people take away from this research? That's a fantastic question. I hope that people take away from this research that just because a system is quote unquote clean or just because a system or technology is quote unquote sustainable, these words we love to hear, it doesn't necessarily mean that it's equitable. It doesn't necessarily mean that it's working towards a just society, right? This is something that that we, and I use the collective we, right? There's so many of us that it takes. It takes all of us to really be working towards these large, complex problems. It's something that we must work on and have in the forefront of our minds to center equity from the beginning and throughout every stage. Just because it has a clean label doesn't mean it's necessarily good for all people or equitable for all people. I, I think I also might add that I hope people take away that I really believe, and I think I'm in a college of engineering that really believes that engineers have a deep responsibility for the engineered systems that we create and the people that use our technology. And I'm really proud of the work that I'm doing and the lens that I bring as an engineer to work with others uh, in, in areas of expertise that are outside of mine to really come up with processes and solutions that are truly and deeply equitable for the people that we serve. Thank you. As you mentioned earlier, 
April celebrates Earth Month. And as a researcher who studies the future of clean transportation and energy, can you share with us your perspective on this month and what we should be focusing on when reflecting on equitable ways to reduce our carbon footprint? Sure thing. You know, I really start from a kind of personal choice framework. What are the individual choices that I can make that can eventually help maximize the best outcome for all people? So really making it a a question of what is in my sphere of influence that I can do to make a difference for the earth and for other people And then it's not so overwhelming, right? These challenges of climate change and our earth and and the ecosystems and the technology and people. And I mean, it could go on and on. That's really overwhelming. (laughs) And I think bringing it back to what is my sphere of influence? What can I do? And how can I think of others when I'm making my choice such that the things that I do help to can help to benefit other people. And, and, you know, that might be your own, the choices you make about your own home. Maybe it's about your transportation. You know, if you have the means to electrify, perhaps that's a direction that you can, you know, take and help then create more demand to drive costs down for other people in the future. Perhaps it's uh, areas you work on, the values you bring to your work or the areas that you work on and you can make those choices. Maybe it's where you work. Maybe it's the values of your employer or the values that you share with the people that you work with. Maybe it's where you put your resources. Maybe it's time, maybe it's money, maybe it's other types of resources. I think each of these individual choices maybe may seem small, but they really matter, right? If we all thought about who we could help and support with our actions beyond just ourselves to the capacity that we have in our, in our uh, life circumstances, because everyone is completely different. I think if we all did that, we would be in, in a better world. And, and, you know, here I am, I'm, I'm, I'm a professor. So it's always going to be about broader education for me, right? What actually makes a difference in the equity of our future? And we can ask ourselves how to really move towards that rather than, you know, just following the next green trend. I think if we all did that in our own spheres of influence, uh, we, we would be in a better world today. Thank you. As the podcast comes to a close, what is one thing you hope listeners remember from our conversation today? Such a good question. I I hope that listeners remember that these challenges are so multifaceted. We need everyone working on how to solve these challenges. They're complex, they're multifaceted, they're, they, they involve so many people. And, and at the end of the day, this is an opportunity to improve humanity, right? Life, it's better, a better life for us on earth. And the more people that care about this and care about other humans, the better off we'll all be. So I hope that listeners feel excited and empowered that they really can make a difference in this area because we really truly need everyone for these big thorny challenges like climate change. Well, thank you so much for sharing this information with us today and taking the time to talk with me. I really appreciate it. Thank you so much for having me. This is really quite an honor. I appreciate it. 
Thank you for listening to the Michigan Minds Podcast, a production of the University of Michigan. Join the conversation on social media with hashtag UMichImpact.